Let's start it up again. Another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network with information for you from all points around the globe. As a matter of fact, we have that World Stocks report that just came out. We have sports and business, and we're going to move it right straight over to Susan Littlefield, who's out there somewhere today. We didn't even have a chance to catch up before we went on the air, Susan. Where, where's Susan today? I am actually sitting in my office. Oh, that sounds good and comfy. It is. I have a Australian Shepherd that's sleeping on the top of my feet, snoring away, so, you know, all is good. Well, your office is just about wherever you uh, wherever you put it, isn't it? It is, it is, but today <laughs> finds me in, in the surprise branch. Okay. Yep, lots of things happening. Did you know that Kansas State University has a new sheep specialist? I did not know that. Yeah, Allison Crane. I met her for the first time last week at the American Sheep Industry Convention. So she's going to join me at 1219 to talk about what they're doing on the campus at K-State. They've got a brand-new state-of-the-art facility for sheep handling, and so she's pretty excited about what this role is going to bring. Now, she replaces the retiring Little Bo Peep, isn't that correct? Yes, exactly. I mean, they've been without a sheep specialist for over a year, so it's, it's a great opportunity. She talks about the transition, um, going from a grad student to being a, a specialist. A great gal, and I, she's already got stuff on our website already posted about some classes she has coming up. So she's hitting the ground running, that's for sure. All right. What else do you have for the team today? Coming up at 1245, Bryce talks with Kent Bacchus with NCBA on international trade and what that's going to mean for our cattle producers. And then at 117, Clay's just getting back from Colorado. He's going to talk about the event that he was at and work that they're doing in that stage and maybe something that we can implement in the rest of our listing area when it comes to, to crops and no-till and, and keeping our ground all in check. As we say, we'll steal any idea that's a good one. Exactly. Okay. Even water. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Susan. Good to hear from you. Thank you. Yep. And uh, over here we have uh, Brandon Bennett, who kind of had a glimmer of something you want to say. You want to share that with the class? Or not? No, I really don't, okay. because you had made the joke about the retiring professor, Little Bo Peep, and I just thought that, especially with regards to sheep, that was a bad joke. <laughs> anyway, back to live action here. Uh, yes, of course, yesterday, National Signing Letter of Intent Day was yesterday, so we'll hear from... University of Nebraska Lincoln head coach Scott Frost on the difference between a regular signing day and this year with the expanded December early signing period. And, of course, they're just winding down the parade now in Philadelphia to celebrate their world champions. Very fitting that they're celebrating the parade on this day because it was this date in history in 1937. The first ever NFL draft occurred, and the first pick in the first draft Philadelphia Eagles. No kidding. Yes. I didn't have any idea. It's an interesting coincidence of history. What goes around comes around. Absolutely. Irony. So, Bob, did you think that was so bad? I'm really sheepish over his (laughs) imitation. (laughs) Let us not ram something down your throat. But I didn't think it was too bad. Please, enough punishment. Let's go on to uh, business business news. Mm -hmm. The market's down. And it got out of the wrong side of the bed today and has fallen steadily as the morning went on. It was off to a mixed start, but now it's down. It's a wild and woolly midday coming your way on the mid. <laughs> Dewey Nelson with a market update on the Rural Radio Network.
Paul Perkins comes in with our ag weather, and it's brought to you today by Holdridge Irrigation. Well, you could really tell the difference in the air temperature this morning. It just wasn't that cold. No, it's definitely warming up. We're getting some south winds, and there's a big contrast in our weather from northeast to southwest. We're into the upper teens right now across northeast Nebraska, and also some light snow falling in the northeast corner of Nebraska, most of it in northwest Iowa and southeast South Dakota. You compare those teens in northeast Nebraska with temperatures up around 50 over northeast Colorado and also some upper 40s in many areas of northwest Kansas and northeast Colorado right now. But and what you have to offer us here, once again, is going to be a roller coaster of temperatures, isn't it? Yeah, we'll probably see some up and down temperatures next week, but once again, we're enjoying the nice weather today, but that's going to be cut short by some colder weather for tomorrow. Well, we're all excited about that. <laughs> Don't put away the coach yet, folks. Nope, exactly. Not for maybe at least a few weeks. Yeah, Next week will be better, though. Today going to be warmer with those south winds as a warm front lifts north across southern Nebraska. Our most active period of weather going to be tonight into Saturday evening. Snow chances increase across northern Nebraska tonight. A wintry mix expected across the rest of the state. Winds increase out of the north tomorrow with the passage of a cold front. The better chance of some snow going to be across northern Nebraska still for tomorrow. A little bit lower on those chances farther south you go. A stronger disturbance drops south tomorrow night. That will increase the chance for some snow farther south in Nebraska, also into northern Kansas. Now, right now, not expecting much in the way of accumulations of snow. Total snow accumulations by Saturday morning should range about 1 to 2 inches across southern Nebraska and northern Kansas, maybe closer to 2 to 4 inches as you head to northern Nebraska. Temperatures will remain chilly for Saturday with lighter winds and still a lingering chance of light snow. A westerly flow Sunday and next week going to keep it mainly dry and return our temperatures to more seasonal levels. For the long term, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures are forecast to be seasonal to warmer than normal Tuesday through February 21st. There's a likelihood of below normal precipitation for Nebraska and Kansas Tuesday through the 21st. Now, good news for those in areas of dryness issues in the drought monitor released today. Nebraska currently 43% drought-free. That does include the north, central, and northeast where it's drought-free. Right along the Platte River and points to the south, it's abnormally dry. There's a small area of moderate drought in the southwest panhandle. All of Kansas is dry, abnormal dryness right now in the north and northeast half. Right near I-70 in the west and central, there's moderate drought, but nearly all of the southern third of Kansas in severe to extreme drought. Weather factors affecting the markets include light rain forecasted for central Argentina and a deepening drought across the southern plains, persistent cold across the northern plains and upper Midwest will contrast with increasing warmth across the southeast U.S. Precipitation will continue right along and near a boundary between the warm and cold air. Dry air will pers- dry weather actually will persist from California into the southern plains. Extreme drought covers the majority of the southwest plains with the rest of the southern plains in some phase of drought. No significant precipitation indicated for at least the next seven days, and waves of cold may bring even more stress to the wheat. It will be very hot one more day in central Argentina before it starts to cool down and some rain arrives over the weekend. It will ease the crop stress, but it's likely crop damage in central Argentina is already done. That rain will not be enough to replenish the dry ground after the recent heat and dryness. A drier trend in southern Brazil will end later in the weekend or early next week. Crops will continue to do well since it was not overly hot and dry, and if 
Rain develops as expected later this weekend. In Mato Grosso, we return to wet weather may further delay the soybean harvest and planting of the second crop corn. And this ag weather has been brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. And uh, so I guess there's a lot of marketers out there singing, don't sweat for me, Argentina. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, not, not good numbers there, but of course a little bit better situation in Brazil uh, where the, the drought hasn't been much of an issue, but it is causing yeah. some damage in Argentina. All right. Well, we could use with a little more moisture in some of those drought-stricken areas of our west and south. So... We'll hope for the best on some of this snow coming in and when you need weather anytime. You can go to krvn.com. There's a new opportunity for Kansas sheep and goat producers. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Kansas State University has Allison Crane now in place as the Extension Sheep Specialist. Her and I sat down to talk during the American Sheep Industry Convention about making that transition from a grad student to an extension educator. Yeah, it's, it was a very odd transition to make, um, but I have to say I had two of the best advisors that anyone could ever have. I, I had one that's a director of a research and extension center in North Dakota, and he prepared me from the research side and the administrative side that you know, most grad students never get to have that experience. Um, but then, as well as having the other um, advisor, Reed Redden, that's now the Texas Sheep and Meat Goat Specialist, he prepared me also on the research side, but also took me to, um, with him to have all of those extension experiences with producers. So I got to be immersed in a lot of different worlds. So then moving into a real position, uh, it was a much smoother transition, I think, than some people might have. Uh, but at the same time, it is still quite a whirlwind. <laughs> but um, going really, really great so far. I have a great support system in Kansas through the university, but also through the producer organizations there. Kansas has been really without somebody for a while to fall back on. And yeah. then to have a brand new sheep <laughs> research facility that opened up on, on the campus. Yeah, yeah. So we have a beautiful, amazing research facility there um, that we also use for teaching as well. Um, so we're trying to revamp that and get a direction from producers, but also from the university and county agents in the area, um, trying to get a true direction to take the unit so that we can um, have meaningful research programs um, on the sheep and the meat goat side, um, but also use that for teaching through the undergraduate classes. We have a lambing class um, so that students, both undergrad and veterinary students, can get a more hands-on practical experience. Um, through the lambing and kidding flocks, um, but also through the wool judging program there too, because that's where all of the wool is housed. So just kind of revitalizing all of these wonderful resources that we have. Um, that's kind of been the first task. <laughs> what has been some of your goals for this facility, but more importantly, goals for, for Kansas sheep and goat producers? So for me, it's um, continuing progress. Um, I think that is the future of the sheep and definitely the goat industry. I mean, right now there's not a lot of infrastructure in the U.S. for goats. Um, so kind of for them, it's more organizing everything and communication. And then where do we go from there? Uh, where do they want to go from there? Uh, on the sheep side, it's the same but the there's a lot more infrastructure on the sheep side. I mean, you have ASI that's very supportive and all the other entities. Um, but at the same time, 
implementing technology, uh, revitalizing wool programs, um, looking at how we can uh, use hair sheep, because uh, that's a new and evolving industry within the sheep industry. Uh, and so figuring out how we all can work together um, has been a big goal of mine, um, but also moving forward together uh, and not trying to all do our own thing. So, Do you have any research goals? Definitely have a lot of research goals. I technically don't have a research appointment, uh, but I have a passion for research. And um, truly with Extension, that that's what it's all about is getting that vital, wonderful, useful information out to producers. Um, so for me, my goals would be to, imp you know, using technology, uh, whether that's genetics, genomics, uh, electronic systems, even uh, working facilities, figuring out what works best for our producers. And especially in Kansas, across the entire state, there's a lot of diversity um, in types of production systems. So figuring out how we can utilize the unit to reach all of those different um, types of operations is definitely a major research goal of mine. And then being able to hand that information to producers. The new Extension's Sheep Specialist at Kansas State University is Allison Crane. By the way, and if you head over to our website, ruralradio.com, you're going to see a story on there about some upcoming classes that Kansas sheep and goat producers can participate in. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check sports on the Rural Radio Network. Here's Brandon Betts. Good afternoon, Dirk. Yesterday, the University of Nebraska Lincoln football team signed 23 national letters of intent. Head coach Scott Frost talked about how this year was different with the early signing period that occurred back in December. You know, there wasn't as much drama this year as most years in the past because of the early signing day. There weren't as many kids out there. There weren't many, as many spots at schools. Uh, so it was a little less drama than a normal signing day, but there were still some kids that we were waiting on until the end and feel really good about how we finished out. The Huskers signed nine players on offense, ten on defense, one specialist, and three athletes. Tens of thousands of Eagles fans have poured onto Philadelphia streets to take part in the city's first ever Super Bowl parade, celebrating a championship they've dreamed about and agonized over for decades. Some enthusiastic fans even camped out in cars, office buildings, and even in makeshift tents for the evening to make sure they could witness the champs heading down Broad Street, the main thoroughfare between this team stadium and the City Hall area that was already clogged with fans for about four hours before the parade was scheduled to start earlier this morning. The parade caps off a week for jubilant fans celebrating their first ever NFL title that had eluded them for nearly 60 years. And again, it's appropriate that that parade occurs today on the anniversary of the very first NFL draft, where the first ever pick in that draft was made by the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Olympics are off to a rocky start because the Olympic Organizing Committee says another 42 cases of norovirus have been reported at the Olympic compound, bringing the total to 128 in the past week. Most of the cases as of now are people staying at a youth center in Pyeongchang, South Korea, that are housing security personnel for the games, and because about 1,200 security personnel are sequestered, that's forcing the military to step up to help with security. And a judge has ordered former Minnesota Vikings running back Adrian Peterson to pay about $600,000 after he defaulted on a loan from a suburban Minneapolis bank. Crown Bank in Edina 
sued Peterson back in November after he failed to pay the balance of a $2.4 million loan that he took out in May of 2016. The Minneapolis Star-Tribune reports that Peterson initially defaulted on the loan in October of 2016, shortly after injuring his knee. He then paid about $1.9 million of the loan, leaving the remainder unpaid. To secure the loan, Peterson had pledged his Vikings contract as collateral, but then the Vikings released him before the beginning of the 2017 season. Court records show Peterson didn't file an answer to the lawsuit or contest the bank's claims. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is straight ahead. You're listening to the Rule Radio Network. Cloudy with a chance of snow or freezing rain for tonight. Lows around 10 above in most of the north to the teens in the southern part of Nebraska. I'm Dave Schroeder. A 22-year-old Lincoln woman accused of causing her aunt's death by swerving to throw her off a vehicle has pleaded not guilty to motor vehicle homicide. Casey Alatori filed a written plea before her set arraignment yesterday. Police say 36-year-old Autumn Rodriguez-Hernandez died November 12th, days after she climbed onto the SUV that Alatori was driving. Police say Alatori accelerated and swerved left and right to shake Rodriguez-Hernandez off the vehicle, causing the older woman to fall and hit her head on a curb. Police say Alatori then fled the scene. Rodriguez Hernandez had loaned the SUV to her niece three months earlier and was trying to get it back when she climbed onto it. A barn kit manufacturing company in South Dakota has announced plans to move the company to eastern Nebraska, bringing at least a dozen jobs with it. Legacy Post and Beam of Elk Point, South Dakota announced the move. The company makes kits for barns, houses, pavilions, sheds, and other structures. The company's new 13,000-square-foot facility is currently under construction in Fremont. It includes covered wood storage space for increased inventory, which will allow for faster production time. The company says construction on the facility is expected to be completed by spring. Arkansas-based Tyson Foods says more than 100,000 employees will receive bonuses as a result of company savings due to the overhaul of federal tax laws. Bob Brogan has more. Tyson says full-time employees who do not receive an annual bonus will get $1,000, and part-time workers who receive no annual bonus will get $500. Tyson President and CEO Tom Hayes said in an email to employees the company expects to save over $300 million in taxes. He said the remaining funds will be used in areas such as improving training and education, including teaching English as a second language and general educational development classes. The announcement follows similar actions at big companies, including Walmart, Starbucks, and Disney, after the tax overhaul was approved and signed by President Trump in December. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. Top Republicans in the Kansas legislature say new GOP Governor Jeff Collier is being more flexible on school funding issues than his predecessor. Collier told legislators that he wants to phase in an increase in spending on public schools without raising taxes. Collier did not set a figure for the increase after ex-GOP Governor Sam Brownback proposed a phasing in of $513 million increase over five years. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it free in the App Store or Google Play. From the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Two thousand eighteen is shaping up to be another year where agriculture will have to defend itself in Washington, DC. 
Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskit reporting. Kent Backus is Director of International Trade for Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. I caught up with him last week at the 2018 Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show. I want to start out with this question. What concerns you most about the current administration's approach to trade? Well, I think the fact that uh, you know we made a lot of gains of the previous administration, especially with the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, that was a big blow to us to see the president withdraw so quickly from TPP without you know having any kind of meaningful alternatives in place. And unfortunately, here we are a year later, and even though we we're promised some bilaterals, we haven't seen a lot of progress there. Uh, we haven't seen any with Japan. And uh, unfortunately, the other TPP countries have decided to move on without us. So that means that everything that we fought so hard to negotiate, especially that beef tariff into Japan, which for them is going to go from 38.5% to 9%, you know, unfortunately, we're going to be stuck at 38.5%. So that means Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and Mexico are going to enjoy all those benefits that we fought so hard for. So that was a big setback for us. But, you know, we've asked a lot of this administration. We've, we've asked uh, you know, across the board for, for help in, in gaining access to those markets. Uh, and we need to have, uh, you know, our negotiators in place to make sure that we're represented there. And that's, been a, that's probably been a, big, a bigger blow than anything else. And, and some of that blame falls on the administration, but a lot of it blames, that blame falls on the Senate, too, for dragging its feet. You know, we haven't had a chief ag negotiator through six rounds of NAFTA talks. Uh, here we are on the verge of trying to renegotiate the Korea trade agreement, which is very promising for the beef industry, and we don't have a chief ag negotiator confirmed. Oh, and by the way, all those WTO battles we're trying to fight and potentially fight China on a lot of WTO issues, and yet we don't have anything there. I think the one shining point that we've seen through all of this is the fact that, you know, it took President Trump, it literally took President Trump to reopen the Chinese market for U.S. beef. And because of his efforts and his leadership, now we're able to send beef into that country for the first time in 14 years. And while it may be small in volume for now, as we start to develop that supply chain and really start to develop that consumer base, we're very excited about the potential that China can hold. You mentioned the chief agriculture negotiator who just announced uh, while we were at the NCBA convention that uh, Greg Dowd's hold on his nomination. Senator Flake will be uh, releasing that. Kind of a sigh of relief from uh, everybody at the convention. How about for yourself? Well, obviously, we're very excited about hearing the news that, that the hold on Greg Dowd's comp, you know, his nomination has been lifted. But uh, the hard work's still yet to go. There are a lot of people who haven't had holds on their nomination or are still waiting to be voted on the Senate. Uh, so while we've had that one victory, uh, we still have a lot of battles in, uh, ahead of us. Uh, the Senate traditionally moves very slowly, and that's why we need to apply pressure uh, on all the senators to make sure that we don't have any more of these uh, little hiccups that could uh, cause them to move even more slowly. I mean, it's pretty sad that here we are a year into the, the administration, and there's still a lot of people uh, in positions uh, that have not been filled, not only at, at the U.S. Trade Representative's office, but at the Department of Commerce and uh, specifically at USDA. We have got to have these people confirmed if we want to see uh, some real developments and some real changes to, to policies that would be beneficial to agriculture. If you can, provide us a historical context. Does this typically happen with every new administration, or is it especially bad with the Trump administration? This administration, is, it's been very tough. Uh, you know, usually when, uh, when uh, one of the major candidates will win, uh, they already have a long list of people who are 
ready to come in and fill these positions. The Trump administration has taken a, a little slower approach, but at the same time, uh, you know, because he's such a, uh, you know, a controversial character at times, uh, the Senate uses that as leverage, and it's not just uh, Democrats. It's, it's been a lot of Republicans that have done that as well. And unfortunately, those, politi those political games affect us in the real world. We've been the unfortunate collateral damage uh, for a lot of this, and uh, that's got to stop. You know, it's time to it's time to put the American people first. It's time to put farmers and ranchers uh, ahead of themselves in their own jobs, security. It's time to do the right thing and get these folks confirmed, and then hold them accountable once they're in position. But you can't sit there in a bully pulpit and continue to uh, to attack an administration for not delivering on results when you haven't confirmed the people who are supposed to deliver on those results. It just doesn't make any sense. But that's just politics, and it's time that we put that aside, and let's get down to business. What's your outlook as we continue through 2018 on international trade? Unfortunately, 2018 is an election year, which means that uh, you know uh, I think we can get a lot of negotiations. Uh, uh, we can make a lot of progress on negotiations at the technical level and definitely uh, through USTR and USDA. But when it comes to Congress, don't expect much. I mean, uh, once uh, once the summertime comes and the primaries are over, um, you know, then it becomes general election season, and at that point, you know, Washington's kind of a ghost town. And so, unfortunately, anything that we're not able to get done by uh, the beginning of uh, pretty much the beginning of May, uh, when the conclusion of these these primary uh, elections come, it's going to be tough to to get anything done after that, uh, because by that point, uh, you'll see you'll see some votes in July and, and and in June, but there's also a lot of time that Congress is going to be gone. They're going to be raising money, and a lot of that's just to get reelected. So, August recess comes. There won't be anybody in town in D.C. They'll all be home, uh, and and uh, but that's a good thing because that means they're going to be out in our cities and in our towns and and at a lot of our local meetings, and that's where we can hold them accountable. That was Kent Backus, Director of International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskin. Next, we move to comments about the livestock futures trade with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Somewhat of a volatile day in cattle futures because we were up with triple-digit gains for a while, Joe. Yes, we were. It uh, sounded like maybe we had a trade in the cattle, uh, uh, but uh, as yet, unconfirmed, uh, the report was that maybe it was at 127, but uh, unable to... Uh, get any confirmation on that then we immediately uh, start coming right back down and it might be a lot of uh, short covering uh, you know after several days of uh, being down uh, uh, it could have just been short covering uh, and uh, just a rumor out uh, to uh, uh, get things started so uh, but we did finish uh, for the most part lower the only one able to close higher was the uh, February contract cutouts uh, were um, uh, a little bit higher, but uh, gee whiz, it's just uh, nothing there uh, to uh, uh, make the market charge in one direction or another. And uh, for the rest of the day, we uh, came down, and uh, this all happened around the 11 o'clock hour, and then uh, finished lower. Uh, the feeders uh, did see uh, one triple-digit loss uh, there in the uh, March contract. The rest uh, lower but not uh, anything substantial. Now, turning to the hogs, uh, finishing mixed, 
cash seems to be near steady. The cutouts off again, and I think that's what kind of held the uh, hogs back. We've had a pretty good break already, particularly in the deferred contracts. The uh, November, or the uh, February, trying to hold with the index continues to climb. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton at the 30th Annual CCTA Annual Conference, No Till on the High Plains in Burlington, Colorado. Joining us, one of our great keynote speakers that we've had on the over the past two days, Dr. Christine Jones, a soil ecologist from Australia and a pioneer of a, of a series called Amazing Carbon. And Dr. Jones, just talk to us about what you're talking to producers at at the conference. Oh, look, we've been talking about the relationships between um, biological activity in soil and the health of crop plants and then how that translate through to human health and animal health you know either we're consuming those products directly or we're eating meat from animals that have consumed those products and how it all begins in the soil like the health of plants animals and people all begins in the soil William Albrecht was talking about that in the early 1900s lots of people have really talked about that over the years and I think it's becoming a really pressing issue now that we're seeing such dramatic declines in human health in the United States. So Americans spend twice as much on health care as any other country in the world but they rank 17th on the list in terms of health outcomes and life expectancy and there's just been a like an, an explosion in the incidence of um, autoimmune disorders and all those kinds of things that they're not actually diseases you can't catch them from somebody else it's our body that's our own bodies are attacking us and dr jones you said in your presentation we are what we eat if we start at the soil level it builds from there you've had a lot of response from producers here at the show kind of talk to us about uh what they've been asking or what they've been curious about yeah well of course everyone's curious well how to do it <laughs> well we know it's the soil stupid you know but but how do we improve our soil and the focus for those discussions has really been well if you're going to have life in the soil it's the biology in the soil that's going to activate the minerals the vitamins the trace elements if they're going to get into plants then it has to be through biological activity i mean those things we know our soils actually have all the minerals in them that they need to have but the limitation is actually the microbes that are able to activate those minerals and make them plant available. So how do we get more microbes? Well, we need to get more energy into the soil because every living thing has to have energy from somewhere. How do we get more energy into the soil? Well, it all really comes back to photosynthesis because plants are capturing light energy and transforming it into biochemical energy in the form of sugars, which they exude from their roots to feed the biology. So really... The simple take-home message is we need to have more green plants and a greater diversity of green plants on our land for as much of the year as possible because they're going to actually capture that energy, transfer it to the soil, feed the soil microbiome. So feeding the soil microbiome is really much the same as feeding our gut microbiome. We know that we need a diversity of different foods and that it has to be nutritionally dense, etc., etc. We're just applying, there's a parallel, you know, between what happens with the human gut microbiome and how we look after the soil microbiome. And it's great to see, you know, soils have become sexy at last. They've gone for decades, centuries probably, without anyone really. It's just dirt. You just stick some seeds in there and they grow. And now we realise well they don't actually grow all that well unless you've got biology and how do we how do we look after that biology so the key messages of being green is good and diverse green is even better and dr jones for folks who want to follow your research or know more about the topics that you've covered here at the conference and throughout your illustrious career of research and development where can folks go to find that they can find some of my articles on my website which is just uh, www.amazingcarbon all one word dot com 
and I've got a few more articles that will be posted on there in about a week's time when I get back to Australia. There we go. That's Dr. Christine Jones, keynote speaker here at the 30th Annual CCTA Convention. No till on the high plains. And again, Dr. Jones, a soil ecologist from Australia, speaking on amazing carbon, and we are what we eat. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. And in our report today from USDA, mixed signals, according to some. Let's find out from John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Maybe some of the pricing could have been built into this uh, report, particularly with the soybean contracts, John. Yeah, the bean action after the report was very head-scratching. They, they raised the... Uh obviously raised the, the ending stocks off of a demand cut. We've all been kind of waiting for this, so maybe that was a little bit of a buy the rumor, sell the fact, or sell the rumor, buy the fact type of deal. Um, but it really moved meal. Meal screamed higher, up almost 2.5% at one point. It did back off into the close, but uh, it makes, looks, looks like it's making another run at that 250 level, and that tells you that demand is there. Uh, one kind of secret, I don't know if it's not secret, but most thought we were, we were having here on the desk was, you know, China is really saber-rattling right now about soybeans and, uh, you know, putting tariffs on it. But they haven't mentioned a lot about meal, and that is what we've been seeing a lot of exports of. So maybe the plan would be just to stop the meal, uh, the bean imports, and then they're going to focus on the meal. I, I, I don't know, but uh, to see the meal skyrocket like that, all that does is open up U.S. crush margins and should increase demand. So that would be the, the kind of surprise of the day was the bean action. Now let's look at that March corn contract again. Now we've got the chart-related signals that maybe. Oh, 375 to 380 could be in the picture? Yeah, I think we need to close well tomorrow. If we can close well tomorrow, it's going to be about the rains that Argentina gets over the next 48 hours. And if it works out well, maybe we open lower and then kind of trade down into the March delivery of the next two weeks. If, they, if we don't, maybe we pop up and trade closer to $4 on that new crop. Uh, you know, good price action all morning. We didn't close very well. Did have a red number up there as we uh, we went into the close, but I don't look for too much here uh, into the end of the week. The uh, the demand went up. Uh, U.S. is still the cheapest in the world. Uh, if these prices, I don't see any reason why breaks should not be bought. Um, you know, if you so if you happen to be selling some March delivery here. I'd look to scoop up some May if you can get the same price, cut out that carry. That's been the kind of goal for me. Uh, it's not always easy because the market may not give it to us, but I think that uh, owning some corn here as we get into the spring, given that Argentina's numbers are going to come down, Conab brought those down today, or, or Brazil rather, and they haven't even really put it into the ground yet. So a lot of this is just on lower seating. So things in South America are going the bull's way. We just need to see it develop now. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com. USDA did cut U.S. wheat exports by 25 million bushels, increased the food usage by 5 million. Argentina's crop went another up another half million metric tons. Maybe that was detrimental to the wheat trade today, which finished lower. This is the Rural Radio Network.